0: Thank you for listening to the Grace Harvest Church podcast. For more information, go to graceharvestchurch.org. You can turn over to the first gospel, the gospel of Matthew, the first book of the New Testament. About two-thirds of the way back into the scripture, you'll find the book of Matthew. And I'll be in the 15th chapter. I'll be starting in the 21st verse. And uh, I just want to tell you where we're going today. We've been doing a series here in our church called A Transformed Life where we're talking about how Jesus Christ encounters us and changes us. He works a change in our nature, does something new in us, and we begin a new life as we follow Him. And uh, today, I want to share with you a message called, A Desperate Mother Encounters Jesus. To review where we've already been, one of the things we've been talking about is the fact that Jesus offers you a new life. He offers you a new life that when a person comes to faith in Jesus Christ, something happens. This is not just mental assent. This is not just us agreeing with tenets of faith and checking all the boxes and saying, Yeah, I agree that Jesus Christ is the Son of God, born of a virgin, lived a sinless life, died on a Roman cross rose from the dead bodily, ascended to the right hand of the Father, sends the Holy Spirit, and saves us. Now, all of those things are true, and those things are things that we are to believe, but the reality is, is just mentally ascending to those things are not what save you, or is not what saves you, rescues you from the power of sin and death. What rescues you is that you actually encounter the living God and he takes what you believe and applies that to your life and he regenerates you and changes you from the inside out. So when a person comes to faith in Christ, an exchange happens. You exchange your old, dead, sinful life for the life of God in Jesus Christ. And something takes place, God begins again a new thing inside of you. Theologians, the book of Titus calls it regeneration. It's a regenesis, a rebeginning, a renewal. God's life indwells you, changes you from the inside out. And those things that you believe, you believe because you've been changed. Something's happened inside and been turned around inside. And you're not the person that you used to be. And so we see in Romans chapter 6 and verse 4, this is in the New Living Translation, it says this, For we died and were buried with Christ by baptism, and just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glorious power of the Father, now we also may live new lives. So you see, living a new life is because of an exchange, And when a person is water baptized, they're making a public declaration that they've gone through a death with Jesus Christ and they're lowered into the grave of a a watery grave. And they're brought out in newness of life. But above and beyond that, something spiritual, something supernatural, something powerful is happening. God is putting his life in you and changing your essential nature. So that your proclivity, that is your bent, that is what you are moved toward and pulled by, is no longer dominated by sin. Sin no longer has dominion and authority over you, but righteousness and God does so that even though, so in other words your life used to be here given to sin and death and you move toward it and periodically you would look over your shoulder and do acts of righteousness and goodness but when Christ saves rescues, regenerates, forgives loves, adopts you what happens is your essential nature is changed and now you move toward righteousness and toward Christ and periodically you look over your shoulder and you stumble and you sin you trip yourself up but your proclivity and your nature is turned toward Christ. That's what happens to somebody when they've come to faith in Jesus Christ. They're changed from the inside out. Today we're going to look at a woman in the Bible that came to Jesus desperate, desperate for her daughter, but in the process of Jesus answering her desperate cry, she too encountered the life-changing power of God. She was turned. She was changed. And she's a beautiful example to us of, of motherhood. Because the reality is, is that all you mamas that are in here got this tenacity about you. Like, try to do something to your kids. And you watch mama bear rise. And mama bear is scary. I've seen mama bear in my wife's eyes. And I just kind of want to be out of the way when that's happening. And we're going to look at this today. And by the way, again, ladies, happy Mother's Day. Amen? Yeah. We're going to look at a mother who would not be denied a new life for her daughter and for herself. We're going to look at the story of a woman with desperate faith for her child who encountered Jesus and herself experienced a new life. And I just want to say something about this story, and I shared it in the first service. I think it's important for your information because some of you keep notes in your Bibles or you have good memories, and you're going to recognize right away that we just, this, this section of the Bible sometime in the last year or so was preached on, and you would be right. I um I, I was praying about what to preach today, and this story dropped in my heart. And then, as I began to think on it, and as I began to study it, I remembered. Wait, I think I preached this about a year ago, and sure enough, I did. It wasn't Mother's Day, but I did. So, I just want you to know that for some of you, some of this material will sound familiar. But I'm uh, going to give you a whole different angle on things today. So, Matthew 15, 21 through 28. And if you got a Bible, you can turn there or look there. And here we go. You ready? You ready? Wow, you, you're a rough crowd today. You've got to help me out, okay? You know, I've told you this before, I preach a lot better with an amen or an encouraging or even a, a, a positive grunt to everyone. A positive grunt will even help me. Yeah, yeah, thank you. Thank you. Okay, <laughs> that's a little too much. That's a little too much, yeah, okay. So verse 21, here we go, here we go. And Jesus went away from there and withdrew to the district of Tyre and Sidon just a quick aside, he went away from where? From Jerusalem, the city of God, the people of God. So he moved away from where God's people were known to be, Jerusalem, and he moved toward Tyre and Sidon. And and I'll I'll explain a little bit more about Tyre and Sidon, but Tyre and Sidon would be considered Gentile, non-Jewish, non-covenant people of God. And so the text begins with Jesus moving away from being where his people are, over here to where people who, ge- who generally did not follow God and they followed other gods were. Okay, so that's the background. Jesus went away from there and withdrew to the district of Tyre and Sidon. And behold, a Canaanite woman. Now, if you know your Bible story, your Bible history, you know the Canaanites were that land that God gave Israel as a promised land that would become the nation of Israel. And they went into that land to make war. And yet, Many of those Canaanite people are still around at the time of Jesus. And so it says in verse 22 And behold, a Canaanite woman from that region came out and was crying, Have mercy on me, O Lord, son of David. My daughter is severely oppressed by a demon. But he did not answer her a word. Wow. And his disciples came and begged him, saying, Send her away, for she is crying out after us. It's kind of harsh. He answered, "'I was only sent to the lost sheep of the house of Israel.' But she came and knelt before Him, saying, "'Lord, help me.' And He answered, "'It is not right to take the children's bread and throw it to the dogs?' And she said, "'Yes, Lord. Yet even the dogs eat the crumbs that fall from their master's table.'" Verse 28, "'Then Jesus answered her, "'O woman, great is your faith.'" I love that. Be it done for you as you desire. And her daughter was healed instantly. Okay, this is a beautiful story. Isn't that a powerful story? Real quick, the background to Tyre and Sidon, just so you know the area they were going into. This particular district was a place with a long history of conflict with the nation of Israel. Many of the people who lived in this area came from a Canaanite background And the Israelites would have hated and looked down upon these Canaanite people from this area of the world. To the Israeli people, these people were considered to be cursed by God. So their attitude toward Canaanite people would have been, these are cursed people. They should be wiped out. We don't want anything to do with them. We don't want any interaction with them. Secondly, it says in the text that this was a woman of Canaan. We know she was Syrophoenician. First of all, she was a woman and if you know anything about the culture of that time, women were often ignored within the society and they were seen as objects and servants. A woman couldn't even testify in court. Her testimony was not considered valid. And then she was a Syro-Phoenician woman, a pagan descendant of the race of people that Israel made war against when they came into the Promised Land. So I I want you to see that right off the bat, this woman has several check marks against her as she approaches Jesus, okay? First of all, she's a woman. She's Canaanite Syrophoenician. She's in a region that's despised and looked down upon. And if you think prejudices and ethnic racial prejudices are strong in the time that we live, at that time in Israel, everybody was prejudiced against each other. The Romans hated the Jews and all the Canaanite peoples around them. They wanted to subjugate them. They didn't want to interact with them. They were not to have fellowship with them. The Jews at that time would not even have a Gentile into their home to eat a meal. They stayed away from the Romans. They hated them. They felt like they had invaded their land and they shouldn't be there and they wanted them out. And so everybody hated each other and there was this attitude of superiority. The Romans felt like they were the rulers of the earth by divine right, by the rights of the gods. The Jews felt like they were the chosen people of God and they were being subjugated by a pagan people who were a bunch of dogs and everybody hated each other and that's the setting that Jesus Christ comes on the scene and has this encounter with this woman in. So then let's just kind of break down this text and let's look at several points. The first thing I want you to see is that Jesus listens to the cry of a desperate mother. That's basically what the whole story is. Jesus listens to the cry of a desperate mother, especially when that mother has tenacious faith. Amen? Verse 22, a Canaanite woman from, from, woman from that region came out and was crying, have mercy on me, O Lord, son of David. My daughter is severely oppressed by a demon. She was crying out. She was desperate. She felt powerless. And and I want you to see, as she cries out to Jesus, you need to understand that she wasn't just going, Jesus, Jesus, please help me. Jesus, please help me. This word or phrase cried out is a Greek word which Literally means to screech like a raven. Now, I've shared this here before, but uh, I have my own story of talking to crows. I'm being serious. In my neighborhood, we have a murder of crows. Did you know that a flock of crows is called a murder? That's pretty foreboding, isn't it? So, on this big tree behind our home, there's a whole murder of crows. And sometimes I'll hear them out there talking to each other and I'll join them. And one of them will be like, kah! and I'll be like, kah! and then they'll go, Ka, ka, and then I'll go, ka, ka, and then they'll be like, whoa. And we'll start having a conversation. But to be serious, in this text, she was crying out, screaming, the Greek word means screeching, to get Jesus' attention. Dignity wasn't her goal. Being cool wasn't her goal. Keeping her act together, making sure that nobody thought ill of her was not her goal. She wanted her daughter healed. She didn't care how foolish she looked, how foolish she sounded. She didn't care about any of it. She was desperate for the sake of her little girl. Do I have any mamas in here that know what I'm talking about? It's like when you're dealing with your kids, it doesn't matter if you got your makeup and your hair done right, right? It doesn't matter if you look like you're together. The most important thing is that child get relief and healing and help. Am I talking to anybody? See, her cry shows her desperation, but also her faith. And what does she say? She says, have mercy on me. Because she was experiencing the horrible weakness and powerless feeling that parents feel when they can't help their kids. This Greek word means to show pity, compassion, and kindness to a person who is seen as undeserving. She's saying, please help me. Please help me for the sake of my child. And then she says this. Now, I want you to notice that each phrase or each word she uses goes deeper. It appeals to something in the heart of Jesus she knows every button to push okay so she starts out crying and then she says have mercy on me and you know how powerful it can be when somebody appeals to you for mercy have you ever been really angry at somebody somebody that's really blowing and they've done you wrong and you're really hurt and you're really wounded and you can tell they're not really they don't they're, they're not really that sorry but if they come to a point of brokenness and the next thing you know they're almost on their knees before you and they're saying i'm really sorry, I know what I did hurt you. I know it was wrong. Please have mercy on me. How many of you know at that moment, if you aren't able to at least move toward them a little bit, you have a pretty hard heart. There's something about the appeal for mercy that is so powerful, so compelling. And then she says these two phrases. She says, Lord, son of David. Now, you can see this woman already really believes who Jesus is. This woman called Jesus Lord, which signified her belief in His authority. She called Him Son of David, which signified her belief that He was the Messiah, the Savior, the King that the Jews were waiting for. Now, I want you to see something. Lord was a term, a phrase that was used at that time, both to signify God and somebody who's in authority. So it doesn't necessarily have to be Lord God. Lord here could be recognizing somebody somebody who has a high position of authority. But then she goes to the next step. She says son of David. Now any Jew that had been there at that moment, their head would have jerked around suddenly and they would have been like blasphemy. How dare you call him son of David? That is only for the Messiah. You can't say that. You can't say that. That's why when when Jesus came into Jerusalem uh, during Palm Sunday and the children were yelling, you know, Hosanna, Hosanna, blessed is he who comes in the name of, of, of the Lord. Hosanna to the son of David. When they were saying that, the Pharisees got so angry because they knew those children were singing the praises of Messiah. So at this moment, she goes from Lord to son of David, and in those two phrases, she makes it clear, I know you have everything it takes to answer my prayer, to heal my daughter, to liberate her. You're everything and everyone I've ever looked for, hoped in, dreamed about. You're the one. And then she says, my daughter is severely oppressed by a demon, Possibly even worse than a physical ailment, demon possession would have been terrifying. The demonic presence in her would have been continually forcing her to self-destructive behaviors and would have caused her mother to be in constant fear for her life and well-being. And I feel it's important to stop here and bring something up that I think is really important to the modern Christian. I should say to the modern Western American Christian. And that is that every terrible thing that we see in people's lives is not always mental health, a mental health issue, that demons are still around today. They're a little more sophisticated in the West, but they're real. There is a personal presence of evil in our world. And demonic oppression and possession is still with us today. And it still exists, not just in places like Africa or in places in Asia or South America, but right here in the good old U.S. of A., some people who are tormented and broken down are not just tormented and broken down and driven to crazy behavior because of a mental illness or an addiction to something. They are driven by demonic presence. And in this day and hour, Jesus still uses people like you and me to liberate people from demonic possession and oppression. It's real. I've been involved many times in what you might call an exorcism. And let me tell you, Christians who are confident and have faith in Jesus, have authority over the power of darkness, and I have seen in my lifetime people go from being Possessed by something, oppressed by something, and it's self-destructive, and it's messing their life up, to going through what we would call deliverance, and they get liberated from the power of that darkness. It's cast out of them, and they begin to be renewed in their thinking, and you watch them change and become a different person, all because you took authority over the power of darkness. So it's real. It still exists today. Having discernment is really important in our time. We have to be able to read the situation and know what God is saying. But we are dealing with evil right now, just like we have in all of human history. Evil didn't suddenly go away just because we got sophisticated. Oh, a lot of you looking at me with a funny look on your face. So, I got to move quickly here. Let's look at this encounter with Jesus now. She's. She's cried out, and now Jesus does something that seems kind of rough. She goes through four tests, three from Jesus, one from the disciples. She's rebuffed. Her faith is tested over and over again. Test number one is the test of silence. It says he did not answer her a word. Sometimes it seems like the Lord's not listening. Have you ever noticed that in your life? How many of you ever prayed and prayed and prayed and cried out and prayed, and then it's like, Hello? You there? Well, there's precedent for it in the Scripture. Jesus didn't answer her a word. What is going on here? See, He's testing us, but He's doing more than testing us. He's preparing a testimony for everybody watching your life. And that's what was happening in the life of this Canaanite woman. See, Jews would have been in that territory, Gentiles, would, unbelievers, believers, people on the spectrum in between. Everybody's watching, and here's this Canaanite woman who, oh, the Jews that are there are going, just reject her, get away from her. So, you know what Jesus does? He plays into it. He plays into the rejection. He plays into it. He, he kind of sets up the crowd To show them how good God is, how much God loves people, and that God is not just the God of the Jew, but He's the God of the Gentile. That God has a big thing that He's building that's about to come forth in the earth called the church, the body of Christ. And the body of Christ is going to be made up of Jews and Gentiles, former pagans and idol worshipers are going to worship Jesus. And so He's setting up the crowd. You still with me? See, He's getting ready to demonstrate, yeah, all right. Thank you, Lord. I'm getting grunts. It's a good day. The second test is the test of group rejection. Group rejection. And his disciples came and begged him. Think about this. Heartless guys or what? Can you say something? me? The disciples are jerks. Okay. Okay. We got that out of the way. Can I get somebody to just go and close that door? Gabe, could I get you? Yeah. Thanks, man. It must have snuck open you got to watch it when that door opens up. You never know what might come right afterward. (laughs) Okay. The test of group rejection. His disciples came and begged him saying, send her away for she is crying out after us. Boy, what soft-hearted guys. Here is a woman who has a demon-possessed daughter crying out for Jesus to have mercy on her. And the disciples have so much heart, they're saying, shut her up and get her out of here. And that's how we can be sometimes. Think about it. They didn't know Jesus' purpose or his test for the woman, but they wanted some peace and quiet. The third test, the test of ethnic rejection. He answered, I was sent only to the lost sheep of the house of Israel. Jesus tells her what she already knew, that his primary call at this time was to Israel first. The gospel was to go to them first. He further tests her to see if she can Be dissuaded, but she's not. She appeals to his mercy and the hope that his mercy is for all people. And again, he's setting her and the crowd up. And then she goes to the next level. She's called him Lord. She's called him son of David. She said, have mercy on me. And then she goes to the next level, this cry and the worship of a desperate mother. She came and knelt before him saying, Lord, help me. The New King James says she came and worshiped him because the word knelt and worship is the same Greek word, which means to kneel and worship. In the ancient world, and you still see it in Islam, when Jews and and other people from around the world would worship before their deity, they would not only be on their knees, but they would take their head and they would press their head all the way to the ground in worship of whatever their deity was. And at that moment, she kneels before Jesus and she cries out as a desperate, desperate, mother. But here's the thing I want you to see. She says, Lord, help me. And as she does that, at that moment, we see that she's crossed the line because now she's worshiping Jesus as her God. Jesus has now become her Lord and her God because she's bowing and kneeling before Him in a posture that you would only give toward a deity. So she's worshiping Jesus as God. And then you would think that would be enough, but Jesus turns up the test a little bit more. And this is the test of ethnic and personal unworthiness. He answers, it's not right to take the children's bread and throw it to the dogs. Wow. Doesn't, at this moment, don't you find yourself going, what's up with Jesus, bad day or what? No, no. I, I can imagine a little twinkle in his eye the whole time he's doing this. I can imagine the crowds around him are like, the Jews are like, yeah, yeah, the Jewish people that, you know, who, who didn't, there, there were probably some Jewish people there that, that actually knew that God was doing something new with Gentiles, but there were some that were there, the Pharisees and others that are like, yeah, that's right, they're dogs, tell them Jesus, and Jesus is like, wait for it, wait for it, It's coming. I'm about to do something new. And, and what's interesting here is the Jewish people of that time, many of them called the Gentiles dogs. And Jesus used this ethnically charged term to test her, but yet He's demonstrating for us the heart of God for everybody. And here's what's, what's interesting is normally if you were going to call a Gentile a dog, you would use a term, a, 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 a term that means a wandering mongrel. Okay, you know, those dogs that move around from garbage dump to garbage dump, they don't belong to anybody, they're mongrels. But that's not the phrase that Jesus uses. Jesus uses an endearing term for little family dog. Isn't that interesting? So he's like, yeah, um, this bread, this bread of healing, this bread of miracles, this bread of all the gifts of God, this bread's only for the covenant people. Um, I can't give it to the family dog. And she says, yeah, Lord. Well, I'm getting ahead of myself. It's another test. And then the tenacious faith of a desperate mother says, yes, Lord. Yet even the dogs eat the crumbs that fall from their master's table. You see, she knew the character and the mercy of Jesus. His reputation had preceded him. So she turns his illustration back on him. I love that. Can you imagine how thrilled he is? And you can see it in the text. Jesus, you can, you can feel his heart rising with utter joy and love for this woman because she has intense faith. She's not going to back off. She's not going to quit. And now she took his illustration and he called her a dog, a family dog. And she's like, yeah, I'm a family dog, but we still get the crumbs. And he's like, yes, you're what I've been looking for, woman he says as much. See, family dogs get family crumbs. The final answer that he gives her, the response now to a woman who will not quit. Then Jesus answered, O woman, great is your faith. Be it done for you as you desire. And her daughter was healed instantly. Now, this is something we don't talk about much with this text, but we don't know if the daughter was there or back at the home. It never says she's with the woman. The other thing is Jesus never turns to her and says, come out in my name. He never casts the demon out. He never takes any action. He simply has so much authority that when she holds on to him and he says, oh woman, great is your faith. At that moment, psh, her daughter is healed. Whether she was present there or back at home, at that moment, she's completely liberated from the power of this demon possession, and she's made whole again. And I want you to look at what Jesus says to her. He says, first of all, oh, woman. Now, when we joke around in our society, if you call, if a man calls a woman, woman, you know, if I like turn to my wife and say, hey, woman, come on over here and give your man some love. <laughs> Everybody in here goes, all the women, especially, like, gag me. That's terrible, right? But that's not the way this is being used here. Yeah, Boo is right. Yeah, my wife doesn't like it either. I've tried. <laughs> a woman was an endearing term. It's not a condescending word, but a word of honor and respect. Why? Because Jesus is amazed. He's amazed. And he says, great is your faith. Do you know, it says that, that he like, was, was amazed and marveled at her. And the text is, is so clear he was. And, and one of the things that we see is there's only two occasions in all of the Gospels where Jesus marveled and was in wonder and awe of people's faith. And both times they were Gentile people. One time it was a centurion. And now it's a Syrophoenician, Canaanite woman, and Jesus is like, wow, you're amazing. See, again, this woman's faith not only changed her daughter's life, but it changed and saved her life too. And then he says, be it done for you as you desire. In other words, yes, yes, yes. You can have what you want. Jesus loves to answer the prayers of people who trust him. This woman's example and testimony have now endured, think about this, for 2,000 plus years. We're reading it in church. In North America, in the northwest of North America, in Moses Lake, Washington, over 2,000 years after the event happened, the uttermost parts of the earth, the ends of the earth, we are gathered worshiping that same Jesus and this woman that had tenacious faith and would not let go of Jesus is being celebrated by all of us on Mother's Day and she's a sign and a wonder and we're singing her praises today because she wouldn't back off from the promise of God. Amen.